Blessed you, and I, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Please, and I, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the family of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from other peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed be you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. I also wanted to say that I passed my National Mortgage Licensing Test today. And I prayed more in a single day than I've prayed in a while. Ruby Sim, he gave me great peace and ease on those who do it. That's Praise so, God. Amen. Praise Praise God. God. All right. Praise God. Um, uh, a friend of the family had a birthday coming up. So, uh, so we bought a copy of this book for her. And, uh, it was cool when I read about it. So we bought two. One for her and one for us. I read it and I was impressed. Easy read. Two twenty half hours. Big print. White margin. Always good. Um, Rabbi Foreman uh, wrote it and uh, it was good. So uh, I'm going to give you a little book review and see, uh, see what you think of what the good rabbi says. It's all about, obviously, Purim, which is coming up. So if you have a Bible, pull it out. Let's get into Esther, chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, get the, uh, get the bookshelf there, and, uh, and we'll get started. I guess the, uh, the first thing that comes up is, what is the book of Esther all about? And, you know, I, I have heard, you know, the stock answer God protects his people. And that, that really is the bottom line, and that's really what you're going to get out of reading the book of Esther. Well, as we've uh, gotten into the Torah walk, um, we've heard some other comments, and with those go some additional um, stuff, um, because it can't be just that, right? I mean, why, why do we have that? What, what's up with that? There's got to be more than that. So uh, they tried to kill us, God saved us, let's eat, is the, the <laughs> thing that I heard at uh, Hope of Israel. That's, uh, that's really, well, that's the answer to all of the testimonies. Um, and then uh, it's the only book that does not mention God by name. He's not there. Right? You don't have the word, the hay, the rock, and the hay. Unless you set through Mr. Upham's unrest. That's right. Or that's right. And you've got this little weirdness with the wording and so forth. You really see it. So we're going to look at stuff like that tonight, but uh, that's, you know, I've, I've heard that one. Here's another one. Everyone's wearing masks. Nothing is as it seems. And, of course, that's true, too. And, uh, and there's, there's stuff to be, to be taught from that. And then there's that little thing, Benjamin never bowed to Esau. And you've got some stuff coming in there that Mordecai was uh, Benjamin and all of that. But, anyway, that's... Uh, that's where we're at with that. But it's no question a weird book. There's, there's weird things. For example, you've got the length of the book. When you're all done with the story and you're like, yes, it's time to eat because we've been reading this while we've been fasting, there's three more chapters. Three chapters that 
you'd think could be just left out. And then the whole lots thing, you know, um, the way the rabbi puts it, that's like naming the holiday after the people that lost. You know, it's like the Tokarov was what was used to fight against the Israelis, so let's call Israeli Independence Day Tokarov Day. I mean, it just make any sense. Um, the, uh, the other thing that uh, the rabbi brought up, which I was used, remember this? I mean, here's Haman. What should be done for the man who the king wants to honor? Used clothing is always a good bet. Give him the used robes, the used crown, the used horse. I like the used horse. Come on, you know. Um, we don't do this. And I think we probably should. Oh, man, I'm glad you're here. Oh, now where to sit? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? So we don't do this, but traditionally, if the if the if the Megillah, the scroll, is read in the shul, three verses are actually repeated as the chazan is going through and reading the book. The uh, these three verses: two five, eight fifteen, and ten three. Or repeated out loud. Can somebody read those? What's two five say? Now there was a Jew in the Jews of the citadel whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, of Benjamin. Shimei. Okay, who said Benjamin? Eight fifteen. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. I've read that somewhere. So maybe for us. Yeah, that's, that's right. 10-3. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. And there you go. So, if the book is named Esther, it seems that these three verses that are traditionally read in the shul are about Mordecai. And is that so that you know, Esther doesn't become preeminent or something. I don't know. That's weird, too. Um, other weirdness here. Um, we've got the whole banquet thing. We've got this serious problem. They're going to kill our people. What do you want up to half the kingdom? Let's, let's have dinner. And then they go to dinner. And what's, come on, you didn't tell me what you want. What do you want? Come on. Up to half the kingdom. What do you want? Uh, another, dinner. another dinner. That's weird. I don't care what you say. That's weird. And then Mordecai's exhortation to Esther, we're, of course, very familiar with. Who knows if you've not been brought to the palace for such a time as this. Right? What What's his take on that? What, what does he say to her? You have to step up. But if you don't, Salvation will come from somebody else. So if you don't step up, doesn't it's okay. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. But don't think that you're being a queen will save you. That's right. You and your father's house. Boom. Gone. It's well, 7.30. Johnny, it's 7.30. Thank you, Joseph. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so I think that's weird. So does the rabbi. And the edict. Haman, we know, or the teamster, as I'm going to be calling him. 
uh, so that you don't boo and we lose time, uh, is uh, is actually a descendant of Agag, and so therefore he's an Amalekite, or an Agagite, I would, you know, um, he's an Agagite. And uh, in normal warfare, if you win, who gets the stuff? To the winner goes the oil, but not if you're not if you're fighting Amalekites. What's the rule? Kill it all. Everything. Everything goes. We don't take anything home, right? What happened to Saul? Spared the king. What's what's that's that bleeding of sheep right here? He did it for the people. That's what it was for the people. <laughs> Special sacrifice. And yet the edict. Who are they fighting? The hamster. And yet the edict that comes down from Mordecai near the end of the book is the Jews can take the spoils of everything. Hmm. That also seems pretty weird. And then there's uh, the hamster's harangue here. What does he say to the king about these people in order to get that edict out? He says they're scattered everywhere, they're different from everybody, and they don't keep the king's laws. Well, really, who cares if they're scattered? And really, who cares if they're different? They're criminals! Let's kill them! That would have been non-weird. This falls into weird. Because, in case this thing you dress later, are you going to address that point? Well, yes! Well, I'm sure all of these would be addressed. That's exactly right! <laughs> and then there is the king's queen. We're not going to get risque with the young men here tonight. But there's always that little hoobie-scooby going on there that... How is the queen supposed to be a type? And exactly how are the men doing when the queen is called? It's weird. Would you not agree? Okay. So, we're going to follow along and see what we can do. We talk about the king's call to the queen. He's got a vast kingdom. How many provinces? 127 provinces. These, uh, there's the queen being called with no clothes on. I mean, that's, someone says you say that. Are the men drunk? Well, based on the, the freeness of the blind. Is, it, is this like a six-month party? It was like a six-month party. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was an extension for just the, the big one. What was, like, the only rule was something like you can drink as much as you want or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you hold together? Well, which makes you think, in ancient Persian elite society, how often did they really throw parties? If it lasts for six months, is it just like you're making up for lost time, or is every six months a party? Exactly. This explains why the Greeks have ran them. They have to climb it in that six-month window. But there appears to be political maneuvering, because that's that's the whole deal, right? I mean, who gets invited to the party? Let's look at it. Chapter 1, verse 11. There's a lot of odd details to this party. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the honestly, whole book is weird. Well, like, the first, like, ten verses are basically, like, this is the provinces, and the king said this. It's like, who 
cares? Like, well, it's an odd, it's an odd amount of detail. It is odd, but I think there's a reason for this. So what's one eleven say? Well, that's the Vashti verse. That's the Vashti verse. Who was invited? Princes, attendants, yeah. army officers, nobles. Verse three. Yeah, the these are some big people. You've got 127 prophecies. How do you keep them all together? You keep them all together with stories about how wonderful the palace life is and how great the kingdom is, and by keeping them partied out. The army of Persia and Media. Right. Who is supposed to see the beauty of the queen? The people's head? The princes, the guys in charge of these 27 provinces. This is a this is a tough time, but of course, you got a problem, Houston. Queen doesn't want to play in the gig. So what are we going to do? It sounds very similar to a like, Palace of Versailles, French-style society. You just yeah. keep all the powerful people in the same spot, basically 24-7 party. Just keep them happy, days, right? right? And they see the opulence of the kingdom. And everything kind of keeps moving. Right. The queen doesn't step right. into the flow. Exactly. So what are we going to do? Or, or exactly. forgive Vashti for a second. We got to get a new queen, right. right? Okay. So we get a new queen, and these honey, 127 provinces need to be endeared to her. Where is Esther from, according to? You're probably not going to read it. you got to know the story. Does she ever tell him where she's from? Does she ever share that she, she is a Jewess? No. no. Where is she from? She's from Persia. She's like the perfect queen. She's got no allegiance to any one of the 127. It's not like me and the other 126 provinces. I mean, I'm from Matthew. No, no. This girl's from the realm. She can fit. So she does not identify with a specific people. So what's her plan? Well, she doesn't have a plan until uh, Uncle Mordecai comes to call. And that's a sad time, right? So, here we start with Rabbi Foreman's first foray away from what I thought was normative Judaism uh, with regard to this book. He's questioning whether or not he says there was none. But he is suggesting that the text is trying to demonstrate that Esther wants to make the king think Now that happens like five pages into the book. So I naturally kept reading the book. How is it that he came to this conclusion? And his, his play here is, what's Esther going to do? Uncle Mordecai comes up and says, you have to say something. Don't think you can keep silent. So what's she going to do? What's her plan? Her plan is, I don't want to go into the If you go into the king on an house, you know, you got to wait for the scepter to be pointed. And if he doesn't, so what's her play? 
What's her plan? Just to walk in there. Just to walk in there and, and do what? Evidently ask for ev- evidently ask for well, it's like dinner. Playing hard to get, right? It's like can, can But he's already got her. But can oh can, concealing uh but does okay, maybe he does have her. But but even then, um, what's what's the the adage? The man's the head, but the wife is the neck. And she can turn the head. What, okay. She wants to so you think she's just being playful? Right. Exactly. Because so that she can get him to a place where she can ask. Up to half my kingdom is yours. Okay, come to dinner, and then we'll talk about what I really want. Okay. But then, according to your logic, at the dinner she would have said, "Okay, yeah, but I know, yeah. sweet, yes." Well, exponentially. I'm but I think <laughs> that I think that she's she obviously knows her king pretty well. Because what did we just talk about? The king has a six-month party to win over all the elites and keep them, you know, in tow. So she has understood that part of Persian culture is you sweeten them up. Okay, party. Okay. So So give them a party and then ask. They'll give them a party, then give them another party (laughs) and then ask. Okay. I think, I don't know, it sounds like like she's she's really playing She's into the party thing. Okay. She gets it. I, and and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, so he did two parties. She'll do two parties. Okay. I follow the logic. The rabbi takes a hard left turn, and I was like, I didn't know. Because he points out that if you take a look at the request for the first banquet, it didn't say this in my English version. It implied it. Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and the hamster come today to a feast that I have prepared for him. It is an indefinite pronoun reference. In the English Standard Version, it says, for the king. There's no king in that verse. It's an indefinite pronoun reference. So Rabbi Foreman is starting to say, you see, Queen is implying it's for him. So it could who did she invite? The king and the hamster. I I'd like to put together a banquet for him. So just follow with the rabbi a little bit, right? He's he's like she's just planting a little seed. Playing points of jealousy. Yes, exactly. And and he's going to bring to play here in a second. Why? Well, no, I've never heard this before. Huh? It's going to come back later. Well, yeah! You know yeah! And you know the end of the story, but wait, because it's so good, isn't it? All right. <laughs> so, what do you want at the banquet? Up to half my kingdom, what does she want? Another banquet. Isn't it interesting? After that banquet... Oh, man. Yeah, right? You're getting it. Right, right. So we got the request. All right. So, if I found favor in the sight of the king, and it would please the king to grant my wish from my request, let the king and the hamster come to the feast and I will prepare for them. This is the second request. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So there is a difference. The rabbi is right. There's something about that first request that could have caused a problem. That, that would make it more, that would make more sense that he made an offer right away of something so extravagant 
without really any prompting. It's like, come to dinner, it's like, by the way, half my team. Yeah, up to half my team. Yeah, and it's like, where did that come from? Yeah. But that would make sense, kind of. Yeah, it's interesting because that reminds me of Rabbi Lappin, when he commented on this passage to us, he mentioned that Esther location plays a key role here. Because they have the banquet in, like, Esther's quarters. Exactly. Which, as I mean, he said that... The hamster's in there. He had a great uh, illustration that um, that uh, in hotels, part of the reason for like meeting rooms was because when you had women on business trips, they couldn't meet with the gentleman businessmen in a hotel room. In the hotel room. Inappropriate. That's right. So, it, and, everyone, and more importantly, even if it's not inappropriate, it's awkward. So right. Esther was intentionally playing off of the awkwardness. Yes. The king's like, what's this guy's doing in my wife's quarters? Precisely. So... The king can't sleep. The king can't sleep. What happens? First banquet, evidently a nice meal. The king's already home. The queen's already, well, actually in her own room. Who's not home? The hamster's not home. Hamster's got to go home. Who's he bump into at the gate? Oh, yeah, he bumps into Mordecai. And he gets all upset again. And what happens? Goes to the king. No, he goes. He goes home. Right? Yes, he goes home. Who's he talking to? His wife and his sons. His wife and his who? His friends. His wife, his sons, and his friends. His close friends. His wife Zeresh and all his friends. All his friends? Well, it could have been. <laughs> Sorry. And said to him, let it go. Let it go. It was 50 cubits I be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased the hamster, and he had the gallows made. Now, I seem to remember that right after that, didn't we have something happen? The king said, who's in the court? When did the king say that? When did the king say, who's in the court? Remember, the king can't sleep. What did they do? Let's, let's read the books of what's happened. And Mordecai saved the king's life. Really? And what was done for Mordecai? Well, you know what your majesty? Diddle. Nothing was done. Really? Well, we need to do something for him. King said, who's in the court? Now the hamster had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And we just assume this is first thing in the morning. But it's not. Who couldn't sleep? The king couldn't sleep. It's in the middle of the night. As soon as that gallows was built, he went back to the palace early. He can't sleep either, because he's so ticked off at Mordecai. So here's the hamster. Who's out in the court? Nobody but the hamster. Well, bring him in here. <laughs> Couldn't wait. I think there's potentially some ironic play here, too, because I'm presuming that um, Mr. H does not have a house next door to the palace. Although right. Be. right. So it's like, Wait a minute. We were last with my wife for dinner. 
what's this guy still doing here at three right. in the morning? Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So who's well, hanging around outside? Deeper and deeper. Yeah, he is. And what is? That's the cave thinking. So with, we yeah, have with the seed that's been planted. Yes. <laughs> what 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 should we what should we give this guy that the king wants to honor? Now, put the hamster's response in the head of the king. Let him wear something that well that you've worn. Third door down, I think. Uh, folded on the left hand side. Oh, I mean, uh, and and a horse that that you've worn and. Let's take his place. This guy wants all my stuff. He wants my queen. He wants my clothes. He wants my horse. He wants my crown. That's got to be. Let's go and see. Starts to sound like a coup. Yeah. It happens to be there at three in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So what's the king? Now, now to me, the king's response to the hamster makes sense. So what does he say? This is good. This is all good advice. Go do it for me. You, you go do it. This, this makes the king seem so much more intuitive and thoughtful in this process, as opposed to like as the clueless. Before he seems yeah, clueless, right? Yes. Yeah, right. Now yeah. it makes sense. What? All right. Well, you, you go, you go do all that stuff. Yeah. You walk around town. Can you see the underlying? Hanky panky thoughts. Can you see it? It's there. So let's talk about banquet number two. What do you want, Esther? The king seems to be suspicious. Turn to chapter seven in verse three. He asks her what her request is. Chapter 7 and verse 3. Just real quick, that does make the half the kingdom make more sense then as well, because if the king is suspecting potential coup, let's just look at the math. The odds of anyone offering a queen the lion's share of the kingdom is pretty slim. Correct. So her best deal Correct. is probably half. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, what was her request? Seven three, Queen en- Queen Esther answered, "If I have found favor in your sight, let's milk a little bit, okay? And if it please the king, let my life be granted to me for my wish and my people for my request." Her first request is for her life. Save me! Now, if you're in the mindset of the king at this point, what would be your first response? Tell me who it is. I will, who's threatening you? I will tear him apart. <laughs> right? I'm feeling like I'm, I'm losing you. Somebody, let me step up. I'm your man. You bet. I've been doing push-ups. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't sleep last night. But we got, but we got a problem. <clears throat> What does she say? It's the hamster! This king 
She lost a chair. She's hoping he'd pull out like the royal knife and do the royal circumcision on his nose right at that moment. But he didn't. Because, let's face it, guys, as we, as we begin to see, the king's just not some dolt. He's not some drunk, some big, strong guy like in the movie with, you know, half a brain. He's been thinking. He's really very pensive. And he doesn't seem to be very impetuous. So now, he's like, okay, I, thought, I thought they were. But, and now, I, I, I got to take a walk. So, he's got to think, he walks out, the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. And she's lost the chance. Oops. What happens when he comes back in? Finds <laughs> Haman, the hangster. Exactly. Fallen on the couch. This happens to <laughs> where's, where's the hamster? On top of the table. Apparently, yeah. <clears throat> and his response, of course, is classic. Classic. But take a look at the text in verse uh, 8 of chapter 7. And you'll see that the text uses a phrase that I've not seen before. It's like the word just came out of his mouth. It's like he's speaking for the first time in this entire scroll without thinking. The words just come out. And before the words come out all the way, they got a hood over the guy. Bad tone. No There's something else, too, which is interesting. Yeah. Will he force the king? Will he force the queen also before me in the house, which suggests that it happened earlier. Or that there he's thinking something else is going on. That's exactly what the rabbi is going for. Yeah, he's picking up on these little clues that Esther appears to have put together this hanky panky plan. So Carbona speaks up in chapter uh, 7 and verse 9 and says, uh, you know, he's got this, this big big, really big gallows in his backyard and he built it for the guy who saved the king's life. Don't you love Carbon? Right there at the right time. So, it should be over. But it's not. We saw the word came out, covered the hamster's face. She didn't win. She didn't get what she wanted. Rats, we got a problem. It didn't work. Why not? Because the edicts already got decreed. He killed the guy, but the edict's out there. He didn't reverse the edict. So the plan was close, but no cigar. Verse 10, the big problem in chapter 7. The king's anger has been abated. It's too late. 
you get the signet ring, you get the summer home, but you still lose. So, since the wrath of the king has been abated, she's gone. No more time. So, this, according to the rabbi, would have been her first plan. To fall at his feet, in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, and cry and weep. That would have been the first plan if there was no hanky panky plan. That's according to the rabbi, and I agree with you. You'd think... Mordecai comes in and says, listen girl, you got to do something. You may be here for just such a time as this. You need to go in there. You need to go in there. You need to go in there. So she says, all right, I'll do it. That would have been the first time. Fall at his feet and cry and say to his face. But that's not. There seems to be a hanky panky. You see they wept and pleaded in chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Avert the evil plan of the hamster, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. What's the king's answer? In a word, can't change it. The answer is no. Sorry. I think he's a little distant at this point. I think he feels like he's been played. He's like, no, I, you know, I, I gave you... The hamster's house, use it as a summer home. I gave Mordecai the signet ring. I killed the hamster and hanged him on the gallows he made for Mordecai. I can't do anything. He seems though, the king's, he seems like a very calculating man who is, I think, I feel like he has a tendency to be a bit indecisive. Like, you see throughout the story, it's the advisors who encourage him to put away Vashti. It's the advisors who recommend that he get a new queen. It's the... That's um, all at the beginning. Well, no, but even later. That could be the blueprint. Haman's plan is the idea is the one to go get to kill all the Jews, and the king just kind of rides along with it. You know? I feel like throughout the story, the king is very just kind of open to suggestion, maybe. I, I can't disagree. So in this case, the king, the king's hands are tied. The law is such and such. I can't do anything about Persians. that. Man, he's got to sing it. Bam, we're done. This happens also with Daniel. Um, in the Daniel story, uh, Darius, the, the, I think, runs into some of the same issues because he can't save Daniel from the lion's head. Right. And the king is concerned about that. And he too stays up for me. All right, so the king says no. Chapter 8, verse 7. It's simple as that. So, Mordecai's got a clue. And this is the second piece of, uh, of Rabbi Foreman's layout of, of the story. According to the good rabbi, just as Esther had a plan, Mordecai also has a plan. And the plan is to make it look like the king, the palace, and the capital, presumably the entire kingdom, is one for all and all for the Jews. That's his plan. To make it look like 
We are all loving those Jewish people. Opening up the Jewish bakery right next to the palace. So he's got an all-show plan to affect the interpretation of these two edicts. Because the king said no, but he's told them, well, you got the ring. So they can send out another edict. So they do. Chapter 8, verse 9. Who did he write to? That's right. To the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, all 127 provinces. And why is he writing to them? They got the first edict. Exactly, Joshua. So they're going to get the second one. The first one said, kill those bombs. What's the second one said? Oh, they can fight back. Big time. And so, but it, and historically, it's not insignificant that the Persian mail carrying system is the most developed in the known world. I was like, would have been a little late, sort of like a uh, right, yeah, a, uh, Christmas thing at Easter, Shakespeare type. You know, That's right, Romeo and Juliet. Thing. Yeah. So, if you were one of the satraps, which edict are you going to lean to? My point was at a different place. I was just wondering. I believe, do you think that the... It's 8 o'clock. It's 8 o'clock, Joshua. The people in the 127 provinces, he didn't write to the other people. He wrote to the Jews. No, no, no. He did not. He wrote to the satraps, the governors, and the officials of the provinces. He wrote to the same leaders that got the first edict. So, if you were one of those guys... You got one that says kill them. You got another one that says they can fight back. Which one are you going to help? Them? Which one are you going to lead? And that's exactly what he's all about. Chapter 3 and verse 13, chapter 8 and verse 11 are the two decrees, and they're absolutely opposite. So with these divided decrees, you've got to get an interpretation. Here's the Here's a, a letter that was received. And I, I just think that maybe your perspective, the way you lean, the baggage you bring to the reading, may affect how you would understand this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, eating kosher, or with regard to a festival like Rosh Hashanah, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. How many of you in the Torah walk have actually had somebody read you that very verse and tell you that you should not be telling them that they should keep Shabbat? That you should not be even implying that they shouldn't eat certain foods? Do you think that's where Paul was coming from? Or have they flipped it right on its head based on their perspective? You see? You see where, where Mordecai is coming from? So, chapter 8, verse 15, Mordecai's going to have a quick parade. We're going out there. He puts on the robe, he puts on the crown, and he's having a parade. Why? To increase uh, 
popularity. You bet. And and to make it seem like, look, look at this. There's a here's his name is always Mordecai the Jew. Mordecai the Jew is being paraded around on the king's horse second time with the robes and the crown. All palace loves Jews. The palace loves Jews. That's his plan. So what's the public perception? The Jews are good. Chapter 8 and verse 17. Chapter 9 and verse 3. The fear of the Jews had fallen on them, and many of them were actually converting to Judaism. And the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. I tell you what, gentlemen, Mordecai's plan is working. He sent out an alternative edict, and now he's got everybody thinking the palace is pro-Jew. In fact, we need a Jewish state. No, that was that's a later <laughs> story. Yeah. Uh-oh! You got the king a little concerned. Chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Can somebody read that for me? The number of those slain in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the 10 sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? There you go. Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? It will also be granted. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? What's the problem? What's the concern? What's the uh-oh? <laughs> he might send out another edict. He might get concerned and say, Whoa, wait a second. Maybe you thought I was all those Jews. I, nice people. Right? Nothing against Jewish people. Not trying to be anti-Semitic. But we've got to stop this. Chapter 9 and verse 13. He finishes that and asks what her request is. We have one more chance for the queen. She wants two things. What are the two things? Let him keep fighting and what? Kill the dead guys! Again. What? She wants to have the hamster's sons. Hanged on the gallows. Why? Make a public statement. It's the ultimate final statement. Here's Mordecai, the Jew, in the king's royal robes, on the king's horse, stallion, whatever it is, and the crown. And this is what happens to and, people who oppose. And, and, and look at these guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a public example. Can you see what's happening? Unbelievable. It's the final deception. To make sure everybody's on the playbook. That we love the Jews. All right. For the Hamster, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatta, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. 
But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term Purim. That's the name of the book, and that's why the book says that's the name of the book. The hamster tried to kill us. Luckily, Esther saved us. That's why we call it lots. Uh, at first I thought I said that's why we eat lots. That's right, eat lots. <laughs> but that's really how it should be, right? Well, luckily. Sort of like a lot. Because the way they wrote it, they didn't say that. The hamster tried to kill us. Esther saved us. That's why we call it lots. You've got to really understand there seems to be some lots involved with what Esther did. I think really because there were so many points where it could have went wrong. Like there were so many variables at play, so many so many different things that all needed to fall into place perfectly for it to happen, which is why they say obviously God has orchestrated this entire thing. Absolutely. It, you just couldn't have planned it as good as it happened. Exactly. Like that, Joseph. This is how they should have written, right? In order. Their names should try to kill us, that's why we call it lots. Because he used lots, luckily, as for Sanders. What, what's even more fascinating, uh, there was a gentleman named Michael Corda that wrote a book called Power, How to Use It, and he basically talked about creating a disaster in an organization and coming to the rescue. Mm. So we have Mordecai that just happened to be there at the gate the same. when Haman was walking out, and everyone paid Haman homage except Mordecai. Now, if Mordecai wasn't there, the story probably wouldn't have been written. He's the guy. So did he did he go there intentionally to create this exactly? Let's stick with the rabbis for now and we'll yeah. talk about that. So you see how the switch of how they wrote it is really Esther's luckily Esther saved us. And Esther took a gamble. So we call it lots because she took a gamble. Game count. Yeah. If the book ended right there, not the book of Esther, but this book that we're talking about, I would have put it down and said, little hanky-panky thing. Never saw that coming. That whole uh, Mordecai, keep them guessing, we love the Jews. I like it. It's something I never thought of. And I, and I, see, I see a little better about the story. When the rabbi hadn't even got started. This was just to make sure you understood the story. He brings to our attention, the Jews are okay your host. That's basically what Mordecai said. I mean, salvation will come from someplace else if you don't step up. But your father's house will be destroyed. You've had it. You've got to step up. 
If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. If your father's house is going to perish, it actually speaks to the past as well as the future. So, the question the rabbi asks at this point is, well, if you get, you get the whole deal, you see the underlying plots that may be there, and, and I can't disagree with him. He says, well, take a look at this. Keeping silent. The word for silent or to make death in this verse is doubled up for emphasis. And that happens a lot in Hebrew. Dead. Really dead. Dead. I mean dead. Quiet. Silent. The really silent. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but this particular word for silent, doubled up for emphasis, only happens one other time in the whole Bible. So if you're a rabbi, what would you do? Look for that other. That's right. <laughs> so he's saying, yes, you meant. It's my cemetery student. So the rabbi starts this part of the book to say, keep silent. Because obviously Mordecai is trying to give her some remembrance. You read? Yeah. So you see that. So, let's take a look. Now, Esther is described in chapter 2 and verse 7 as a young woman. Her father's house is mentioned by Mordecai. The day she heard about it, she cannot keep silent. These things coming together for me. I know I've heard that. I've read it somewhere. Can anybody... She makes a vow. In the day that he hears of it, he can affirm it or annul it. But if he keeps silent and doesn't do either one, it is as if he has given tacit approval. He has affirmed it by not saying, Esther, did you hear this edict? You cannot keep silent. If you do, it's like you're affirming it. You can't do that. Your father's house and you will perish. Okay. It's, it is interesting. I never saw this. I never saw this coming. This is pretty wild. So, let's take a look. If her husband makes them null and void on the day that he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning her pledge of herself 
shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will forgive her. Numbers chapter 3. It's great, especially if you have daughters, Mr. Bartos, Mr. Bartos, Mr. Bartos. I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll notice if you read Hebrew, this is the same as the one that we had before, just as the rabbi said. So. Oh, that's different. That's different. I'm sorry. That's uh, her husband, right? Isha. Yeah. The king knew. The Isha. I think it's a. Is that the vow? I think it's a vow. It's her vow and her lips. It's this. So, he's saying that Hebrew is in this Her husband may affirm or her husband can annul. That's what we just read. Isha, Ikaminu, Ikaminu, Isha, Isha, Ikarinu. She may affirm or she can annul because he shot a little rabbinic trick, right? If we take off the uh, yod, what do you got? You get she. So this word is her husband, Isha's man, Isha, her husband. Isha is also a woman. So he's saying, Mordecai is going back to Numbers 30. And doing a little rabbinic drosh, because it sounds the same, it's, you read exactly the same. Isha, her husband. Isha, she. He's not saying halakhically the same. He's saying it's a little drosh here. So she can affirm. She can annul the king's edict. And the day that she hears of it, if she doesn't make herself deaf, if she doesn't, Ignore it. That's cool. Very cool. It is very cool, and in fact, that is key to where the rabbi is coming from, this whole silence. So he's playing the Isha card. So are we, we got it? We're supposed to be the little guys? Isha is woman. Isha is also her husband. Cool. So, let's it's take like a look. In, in like, it'd be like, a, like an English word game where if you're like playing a word play off of the word, the animal duck and the action of duck. duck. Exactly. Good. So, the rabbi picks up on Yeharenu and says, well, you, this is the key here to the book. This is why she started doing what she did. Do you know what the root is for that word? In Hebrew, it's poor. <laughs> so the lots, poor, poorim, may not be talking about the hamster at all, but about her. Poor. The fact that she annulled the edict. Mm. So a woman will annul or poor 
Right? They, therefore, they call these days Purim after the term Pur. Kapur. Get it? You play on the words. Now it makes more sense why you wouldn't call it Takarov Day. <laughs> so it's more like Day of the Norman. Yeah. yeah. Done by it goes it goes back to like like the annulment of the good fortune that Haman thought he had. This is very similar to the tradition that holds that um, when God tells Abram to look at the stars, it's it's because according to the astrologers, Abram wasn't supposed to be able to have any children based on the stars. So God says, Look at the stars and says so shall your seed be as though to like emphasize this is no power over you. I am the only one that can decide this. Good, cool. Same kind of deal. Yeah, cool. All right. So she uh, she did not remain silent. She did not turn a deaf ear to the king's edict, but in fact, she worked to annul it. And perhaps because of the way that Mordecai presented it to her, she thought of that and became a living example of an alternate understanding of Numbers chapter 30. That is amazing. So, the book is named because of her poor and not his. Again, I mean, I've never heard that before. I would never have seen that before. And it seems, so far, it seems legit. Everything's matching up. And I could have put the book down there. But there was more. Yes, it's true. Yeah. So, the rabbi says, if you think what I just said is a bunch of hooey, then look at the penultimate chapter, chapter 9, where it all comes together and highlight all of the two words, annul, the root, annul, or affirm, either one. And uh, kigim is the affirm, and I've got those in yellow. And how many are there in chapter 9? One, two... Three, four, five, six, seven. I like that. Oh, well, let's look at the uh, poor. Poor is in uh, lavender. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And in fact, the very last verse of the chapter has both of them in it. The command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim. Wow. According to the rabbi, Esther had to do both. She had to affirm that second decree and figure out how to annul the first. And in fact, this might have been kicked off by Mordecai using that doubling of the word silent to perish in his warning, reminding her of chapter 30 in Numbers. Um, if you tend to memorize long passages of scripture, you know when you get a whole chapter in your head that this kind of stuff starts to come. And you start to see it. Of course, the rabbi's doing it in Hebrew. So he's seen the roots. And it's probably even cooler. So he's got some remez going on there. And of course, the more scripture you know, the more you can do that in the English. I thought that was cool. So, let's finish up. These are the uh, three verses that are traditionally read aloud. 
There was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Yair, son of Shimei, son of Kish, and Jemite. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. That's the, uh, that's the parade, right? And, you know, we talked about that, so let's get rid of that one and just uh, move up here. So, the third one, for Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with many of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So his last part of the book is, why do we read these? I don't get it. Can you think, when you read this verse, if you take out the first line, who is that in my hand? Joseph. Thank you. Yosef ben Yaakov. He was great among the Jews. He was popular with, well, not all of his brothers, but many of his brothers. Later on. Later on. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Yep. It reminds me of Joseph. And what's interesting is that we have the two sons of Jacob through Rachel, Benjamin and Joseph, who are both second to the kings of the respective countries. This guy's a Benjamin. Yeah. Let's uh, let's see what he's got here. When was Esther most vulnerable? The whole story. I mean, she had to go several times in there, you know, without being asked. You know, the whole scepter kind of thing. When do you think she was most vulnerable in this story? When the king left in a rage, okay. left her alone and came in the okay. room. So the hamster might have done something? Not. Probably the first banquet, if that if his theory is true, when it was just her and him, right? No. So the king might have... Well, no, when it wasn't it the first banquet when it was just Haman? No. It wasn't just Haman, it was both of them, but she said it was for him. Oh, okay. Right. I'm not sure. I mean, she was definitely vulnerable with the hamster. I'm just thinking something actually happened at that point which would indicate vulnerability. Okay. Well, are you saying she physically or her parents? Physically. Okay. I would, have, I would have guessed that the first time she goes in to see the king yeah. with the whole scepter deal... He hadn't called for her in a while. You bet. You bet. She's really worried. You bet. I I would put that number two on the list. The rabbi thinks, and I agree with him. Read the third time. Chapter eight. It's all done. Her little hanky banky charade thing is over. The guy is dead. It's just so nice. She's still nagging. She wants more. She's already been given stuff. She seems to be very pressing. And the king responds pretty coldly. Hamster's been hanged with his sons. Esther has a summer cottage with, a, with an extra gallows, which is always good. And Mordecai has a signet ring. What more do you want? Come on, Esther. What do you want?
It's here where she, she falls at his feet and she weeps. She reveals her very deepest loyalties, that she is, in fact, a Jewess. And that she can't bear to see her people die. But the king seems annoyed. And he says, I can't do anything, or I won't do anything. In 8.3, what does she say? Can somebody read? Master spoke yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of, of the hamster and his device that he had devised against the Jews. So, how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming? To my people, or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? This is almost verbatim from another story. Huh? Jeremiah? No. Yeah. Is it Joseph? It is Joseph. When you got the first Joseph reference, here's another Joseph reference. Who said that? Do you remember? You've got to bring back your brother Reuben. Benjamin. Reuben. And if you don't bring back your brother Benjamin, oh. that's it. He stays in prison. Judah. Judah steps up, and what does he say? How can I bear to see the destruction, the pain, the evil that will come upon my father? Yeah. It's almost verbatim right there. But also Jeremiah said that with respect to the destruction of Jerusalem. Yes. It is true. But you'll see here in a second, it's almost verbatim. The evil that is coming to my people. Bara asher yimsa et ami. That's what she said. How can I bear that evil? And what is it? The Judah said, Bara asher yinsa et avi. Avi, evil. Avi, father. She almost perfectly quotes from the story. In fact, it rhymes so well in English as well as in the Hebrew that if you're not paying attention or talking to someone from Gastonia, you might not even pick up which person they're talking about. So we've got the reference, two references from Joseph. That's a coincidence. <laughs> this is the second reference to Joseph. She actually does it again. It's 8.30. 30. 
Mordecai says, you got to go in. You can't ignore this. Who knows? If you've been brought to the palace for such a time as this, what did she say? Okay, okay, okay. I'll go in. If I am lost, then so be it. I am lost. Ka'ashir, avadeti, avadeti. It's really tight. But uh, she says that, and ka'ashir, with the verb doubled up like that, according to the rabbi. We'll tell one other time. If I am to lose Benjamin, then so be it. I shall lose Benjamin. Ka'ashir, sakoti, it's amazing. That's three references from the story of Joseph. Almost verbatim. Unique in the scripture. I had to keep reading. Bring it up. Esther echoes the words of her father Jacob 1100 years before she This is the crowning cap of the rabbi's book. Mordecai is an Ish Yamini. He is a Benjaminite. Judah guaranteed Benjamin's safety. When was it ever paid him? When was that debt ever repaid? 1100 years later. You remember what Joseph's brothers said? 37th floor? You got a description of uh, the brothers there. They hated him. They couldn't even speak peacefully to him. For Mordecai the Jew, last verse in the entire scroll, sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace. You can't! That's like four references from Joseph! Holy cow! Yeah. So there you go. That is, uh, that is this book. I don't really care if you buy it. You can borrow mine if you want. Um, the queen you thought you knew. I, I feel like I've got more insight into the story. I go back to the first slide with all the weirdness about the book, and it all seems to make sense to me now. I, I get why the banquets. If she's trying to make it seem that there's a little uh, love triangle going on, a little hanky-panky there, well, then it makes sense. And the way she changes the wording of the request of the banquet makes sense to me. The fact that uh, Mordecai tries to get her to do something and uses this phrase from Numbers 30 that's only in Numbers 30. Because you realize when she's, when he said it to her, it wasn't in the book of Esther. Yeah. So, he says it to her. Wait, this was oral for <laughs> So he says that to her and she immediately thinks Numbers 30. She grew up in his house. He probably did that whole, you know, hinky-winky thing between husband 
and girl and saw the parallel, realizes she's got to step up. And then you've got these quotes and paraphrases and parallels with the book of Joseph and the whole Benjamite thing and the angst and Joseph's brothers. Man, I get it. Even the parade in the middle of the thing before there was actually the fighting. I get it. I, I see it. Why do you hang dead people? I get it. I get it. It really was enjoyable for me. And how many sons were hung? Ten. And what's interesting, there were 12 tribes. So if you separate Joseph and Benjamin, there were 10. So these 10 sons may have been substitutes for the 10 brothers. Ooh. Good. It's a good power. Yes. Do we know where Esther's heritage would have come from? Was she also, would she be considered a Benjamite? Or do you think she was perhaps she, from Judah? She had to be a Benjamite because that was her uncle. On mother's side or father's side? Because it, it, it would parallel very nicely if she was from Judah. Uh, oh, I see. In, if it was on the mother's side. Right. Because then you would literally have Judah is actually saving and, like you said, returning that favor and protecting Benjamin. But Judah already did protect Benjamin. You need Benjamin now to protect Judah. Right, so if she's from Judah. So if she's a Benjamite, then she now is stepping right. up and protecting the Yehudim. Yeah, all of Judah, right. basically. So therefore, the suggestion I had from the Michael Corda scenario would make sense. That this is a way to even the score. Yeah, I mean, it's, it just repays the debt along the page. But you would never see all of that in the book of Esther if you hadn't already read about the fathers and what happened with the sons and the, the whole deal. So, cool deal. Yeah, she was the daughter of She was the daughter she was the daughter of he was bringing up Abbasal. That is Esther, the daughter of his uncle. That's his cousin. But it's his mother's father or father's father. I don't think it says that. I don't it so you can still be on either side. Yes. We couldn't be on his mother's side. His uncle could be on the mother's side. Just as he, being her uncle, which we thought was actually not true, it's really his cousin. His cousin. Yeah, her really? cousin. Yeah. But the uncle could be on either side, right? But either way, I'm going to prefer to think that it's all Benjamite and the Benjamites are saving the Yehudim because the Yehudim, the true Yehuda, saved the Benjamites. And I think there's another moral that Esther never cried uncle. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting on this for her. That was a good time. Yeah, 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 yeah. coming out with a sequel to go even deeper and tea with. Gentlemen, may you taste the sweetness of the world to come in this life. May you see your children's children come to faith. 
May your end be with the life of the world to come, and your deeds affect the hope of many generations. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding of Torah. May your mouth speak wisdom to everyone you meet, and may your tongue bring forth song as you praise the Holy One, blessed the Savior. May you have the self-control to look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah. And may your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, your heart rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the ancient of days. Amen.